we're off. Hello, this is the Music Ally podcast, and we are coming live, not live, but we're actually live in the room, which is in the wonderful Sonos Studios. They've let us have a room, which is different from the room that we're normally in, which sounds like a prospector's toilet with a tinny echo, and it's terrible. And lots of people have been complaining about myself and Stuart Dredge, who's over there. Hi, Stuart. Hello, I'm uh, in the, the pot plant. Yeah, but we've, uh, the, we've been consistently mansplaining the music industry, so we've got some actual human ladies in to talk about the music industry. <laughs> Look at that, inclusive, in a, in a in spirit of inclusiveness. So we've got Jen and Lucy, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure, I'm Jen Long, I have two breasts and a vagina, it's lovely to be here. Amazing, <laughs> wonderful. Have you always had those? I have since birth, would you believe? This is going, this is getting very rum already, let's, let's, let's move on. Yeah, the other problem is you've actually, you've a professional radio person, so you can, <laughs> you can see exactly where the I things are I was until well. radio on fired me. Oh, well, we, we weren't even good enough to get hired. Uh, well, let's consult the lawyers. Anyway, the other human lady we have. Hello, I'm Lucy Blair, I can't beat that intro. Um, <laughs> I do have the same assets as Jen, I'm happy to say, uh, and I work at Motive Unknown. And what do you do there? You are dealing with lots of marketing. Yes, That's right. the, the old marketing, yes, digital marketing and strategy. Well, you were actually talking about your biology, you didn't actually say uh, about your employer, so I'm I think sorry. we should actually plug that as well. <laughs> uh, I work for Dice, we are a live music discovery platform for your phone, you can buy tickets to gigs with no booking fees in London, Glasgow, Cardiff, Bristol and Manchester, and it's lovely to be here in the Sonos Experience Room. The Sonos Experience Room, no, it's, they've, they're very kindly to lend us the room, so hopefully we, they will lend us the room again so that we don't annoy them so we are very very grateful how many times do we have to say how amazing they are in the podcast before i think i think that's enough we'll probably say at the end as well okay. and then uh that i think that'll probably do okay. so we are going to do uh we're going to talk about stuff that's been happening this year because it's december and that's kind of the law of december isn't it it's a kind of it's a yes. contractual obligation that once you get into december you have to talk about the other 11 months. December doesn't get, you don't get to look back at December. December is just about looking back at the other 11 months. Poor December. It's like the, it's like the ginger stepchild of, 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 of the year. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that year when December came and everyone did their best albums of the year list? And, right, and then Beyonce was like, oh, by the way, new album everyone. <laughs> yeah. And everything had to be ripped up. Why don't we Beyonce this podcast? <laughs> no one's waiting. Yeah, no, nobody's, no, like, nobody's, not even Matthew Knowles is waiting <coughs> for this one. So we are, we're going to talk, uh, first of all, about our favourite marketing campaigns of the year because that's uh lucy's thing i guess so i suppose you should lead on that okay, so okay. so um, and uh, we also will caveat this uh, that uh, we banned her from talking about campaigns that she herself has worked on yes yeah. sad but true um so other things other people have done um one of my favorite campaigns of this year has actually been um a series called the quotient series by max cooper who's an electronic musician um he and this it's really simple what he did is it's just a standard sign up to my website and mailing list and you can get new content first type of campaign um and he's actually been doing this for about a year so i'm slightly cheating because it started last year but anyway um and he's dropped sort of six or seven pieces of new music throughout the throughout the year, um, and he does then put it on his SoundCloud and Spotify and whatever else. But the subscribers and the members get access first. And what I like about this is that he's he said 
that he started it so that he could um, focus on developing a more direct relationship with his audience and kind of, you know, not be at the whim of, you know, Facebook algorithms and yeah. are people going to see his updates and all of that. He just wanted to be able to chat to the audience directly and to the fans and give them stuff first before anyone else. Um, so he's, he's found that it's really helped him to direct a more, develop, sorry, a more direct relationship with his audience. Um, he said it also enabled him to make much more experimental music sort of outside of a standard, you know, EP or LP format and outside mm. of the need to sell products so that's pretty exciting and not meant that many people are doing that I think um, well, certainly, that was certainly not that... outside of the sort of dance music space obviously in dance music it's common to have you know remixes and bootlegs yeah. and more experimental music I think but in pop music that was supposed to be the kind of the stick. promise of the internet was supposed to go who cares about an album that whole idea of just doing an album every three years we can you can just throw it out the window and you don't have to do it and not that many people have had this idea of the rolling campaign yeah. I think there was well, I think One of the most interesting ones a few years ago was Ash did that A to Z thing where they did a single every two weeks. So, they, so it was effectively a new song every week, so an A side and a B side. And they and then it was they named did a after. Tour. Yes, they, they did. did. A tour of loads of different places that they'd from never, A to Z. That they'd never played before. <laughs> yeah. as well. And that, that was really because suddenly you've got this here are sort of 24 brand new songs, but presented in a different way. So None I think of them were Girl from yeah. Mars, though, were they? Well, no, mm. but still. <laughs> so, like, you think they're going up to G and going, you know what, we're going we're gonna to play it over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's one you might know. But those two things, they're quite, because like marketing campaigns, we like traditionally you often think like someone makes the music and makes the album and then someone else over here goes, how do we market it? Yeah, but like that exactly. is an example of someone, like he's just releasing the music and that's the coming. Like, yeah, and taking Ash control, was, like, yeah. music, it wasn't. Yeah. So this is why I've, I've struggled with this. It's not really something that you go through the year thinking about, you know, you're not like, oh, that. That's going in my top five marketing. <laughs> it's only people like us. Oof, it's only that, us three that's that care. Not gonna make yeah. the top, that's not going to make top 20, maybe, but it's not making the Well, was, 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 was there an album release or something that really stood out for you well, this I year? Think or? Like a marketing campaign that's really good is one that people like me don't really notice. Right. You know, okay. it's one where you're like, oh, that's marketing. Okay, I just. Well, well that let, was just let, let's reverse engineer it then. What, what was your favourite? What was your favourite, either new artist of the year or album or track of the year? Favourite new artist, I'd say, is The Big Moon. Right. Favourite album of the year, Maccabees. Okay. Marks to prove it. Yeah. And I really like what they did with it all being kind of centred around where they recorded it. It was, it was kind of like a concept thing about Elephant and Castle, it wasn't was, it? yeah. Mm. And they did that film all about the residents of Elephant and Castle and kind of made a statement about people like us won't be able to work here, future musicians did, won't be able to do what we've done because of the... the did they make a reference, though, to Jim Davidson's hilarious comedy from the 1980s, Up the Elephant and Round the Castle? No. <laughs> so she's they, they said they Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, it's not often Jim Davidson gets into a music industry podcast. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, not a racist Davidson. But then, like you say, because I mean, I suppose you could look at that and say, well, that was marketing, that film, but it wasn't. That was their creativity. It was their creation, wasn't it? But it kind of served as a marketing. Yeah. Mm. Which is maybe more. Stuart, what was yours? Your favourite campaign? Similar here, you know. I don't know. I mean, I sort of. I'm trying to think. My, my favourite person I, who I discovered really late this year was Courtney Barnett, and I couldn't tell you how she marketed her album. I just heard it on the radio. Went and bought, went and bought it. And was like, loved it. So, I mean, I like, I did like the the Adele thing. I mean, there's an interview either Rolling Stone or the Guardian, and it was saying about how they marketed, how they told fans about her new album, and apparently they were all saying, "What should we do? What should we do?" And she kind of went, "I'll just write an email," <laughs> and that was it. Literally, she just sat down on her keyboard and wrote an email to her fans. So yeah, I know it's. I find it hard to we write about these campaigns, but all the stuff that comes in, like we write about so and so has released an augmented reality app where you can see goblins jump out of the nearest tower <laughs> promoting a new album. Yeah. You sort of think you write about it at the time and then no one ever mentions it again. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm uh, going to be very future gazing in terms of my favourite campaign of the year. It was the Bob Dylan campaign because I just tragic and really love Bob Dylan. But it was actually quite was interesting because they did. Tumbleweed? There was lots of tumbleweed. No, that was actually Bob Dylan's wig just <laughs> scurrying through the room. That's uh, actually just a Rolling Stone. A boom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom. Uh, but it was actually uh, an example of an old duffer uh, in his seventies who actually did really interesting things digitally. Had um, uh, he did this lyric, he did this thing with Genius, which was because it was tied around that bootleg series album from sixty five, sixty six. So there were like loads of different takes of all these songs that he recorded. So they did this tie up with Genius, where they annotated the lyrics, but they showed how the lyrics changed between the different takes, which actually is, if you're into Dylan and that sort of stuff, that was really interesting. And then they did this remix thing, they give you the, the stems for like a Rolling Stone, so you could do all your uh, play around with that. And it was actually, for somebody that old to do something that was kind of quite clever. And do you think he was there going, we need a remix? Absolutely, yeah, he was going, <laughs> genius, I'm all over that. But like those hip hop chaps, they they kind of got that cornered. But what they need is the grizzled 76 year old uh, American rocker to, to, to show the young people it's what it's all about. Like, again, it, like his lyrics were the centre of that marketing campaign. It wasn't like uh, a yeah. thing being posed, it was like the words. Yeah. And then the slightly changed words when he yeah. forgot them. And... Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it, or he'd taken all of the drugs, like the, like he took all of the 60s drugs in about <laughs> 12 months, in a 12 <laughs> months period, all of the 60s entire reserves of drugs just went into a tiny little Bob Dylan. Really <laughs> None at all. No, well, what was left? Keith Richards had them, then that was it. Uh, that explains a lot. Yes, so... Uh, we should also talk about uh, New Music Friday, which is an incredible new thing, which was music was going to be released on a Friday, which kind of stopped being relevant a few years ago when Oris would suddenly go, here's a preview of my album. Oh, I'm suddenly doing a surprise release. Oh, uh, if you're on Spotify, you can get to hear my album six days before everybody else, or it's on SoundCloud. And then so nobody actually stuck to a release day anyway, but they decided to kind of unify the entire nation, the entire world, sorry, and say new music comes out on a Friday. So loads of people went, this is brilliant because it's unified and loads of people went, this is a huge problem. As somebody working in marketing, was this a godsend for you or was it a monumental pain in uh, to be body. honest, hasn't really made that much difference. I don't think. Well done, the IFPI. From a marketing perspective, top marks. Um, I mean, I think to, you know, obviously, it's it's harder. I think for the physical retailers, right, and they have to sort out, you know, staffing on the weekends and delivery and shipping and you know, in-store performances and all that stuff. But from the point of online marketing, it doesn't really make any difference. You know, like you said, Amy, I mean, everyone's kind of doing surprise releases and dropping stuff all over the place anyway. So it's, it's your and, fault. And it's, it's your just, profession's fault. It is. It is our fault because we all, including me put you know albums up like said to stream you know up for a week before release and things anyway and and stuff leaks as well whether you like it or not really and i, do, I just don't think from a marketing perspective it's really made that much difference as a music consumer like. jen mm-hmm. has it changed you do you have to now re- have to recalibrate your week and go it's not monday anymore when i go out and buy music <laughs> i must go out on a friday this I, is this is the day I for like me it. okay really, as, as a music fan i'm enjoying music you're the only friday. one in the room the rest was hate music <laughs> i've never even heard music it's mondays, incredible mondays were already there's too much on a monday you wake yeah. up on a monday and you're right. like oh fuck it's monday I'm allowed to swear. Well, you have done. Oh, no, no, we yeah. swear. We swear. Although once I did say the C word and we had to edit it out. 
No, there was there was more context to that. I can't remember quite. Yeah, it was probably, it was probably libelous as well. <laughs> well, you wake up Monday morning and oh fuck, it's Monday. I've got to go to work and I haven't answered any of those emails and all that happened at the weekend and I've got to do that and you're just not thinking about like what's great. And then Friday, you're like, it's Friday, and they're like, oh my god, someone just released whatever album. <laughs> yes, like this is a great Friday morning. I'm gonna go to this pub this evening. I've got two days <laughs> off. I'm just gonna listen to this album for the whole of the day. I'm gonna whack it on loud at work and you just like. So much more exciting. Being do you on a think Friday. also? Do you think also that if it coincides with payday, that people will possibly spend more music because there was a David Hapworth invented that that concept of fifty quid bloke, which was tied around people going to fuck with. He said you can identify them. It's a bloke generally in his mid-40s, he's probably had a couple of drinks in the afternoon, tie a skew, and he's weaving through fop, and suddenly there's, like, books and DVDs and stuff going in, and he spent 50 quid, so that was 50 quid bloke, and it was, he basically went, it's a bloke who's a bit pissed. <laughs> Spending money, and it's brilliant. And there, there's, I guess, is there an element of, of kind of the... The uh, the invincibility you feel on payday, where you go, I've got money, I can live like a king or a queen for the month actually you can only live like a king or a queen for about 25 minutes yeah but if you're like 50 quid bloke and you're in your yeah. 40s or something if you're like music fan in their teens or early 20s you're just gonna listen to it on spotify aren't yeah. yeah and that's exactly. behavior is different isn't it because in yeah. a way i mean i do this now i go on spotify and see how the playlists have changed because they have their new music friday mm. they have all the, all the playlists turn over and there's new stuff Oh, and if you have a label, like I've got a little label, and if you put something out, the excitement of going on Spotify's New Music Friday UK and being like, have I made it? Have I made it? And when oh. you have, you're like... So <laughs> well, tell us about the label then. Yeah. Because obviously this will this directly affect you. Yeah, it's 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 a hobby kind of thing of mine that I've been doing for a few years with uh, the guys at Transgressive called mm -hmm. Disability. We usually put out cassettes, but um, we've done a few records this year, and, and most of it's digital as well. And... Um, I was always confused as to why things were in America on the Tuesday and like I think it was like places in Europe on the Friday. It was and like then France, here on the and France was a Friday, Australia had, was a Friday. It was we really had weird. One release this year where the German label wouldn't put it out on the Friday because the Friday was the thirteenth, and oh, they right. were superstitious about releasing it on the Friday. So we had this huge like thing about what day we could release it was just like well we had to change the entire week of release to coincide mm. with it being Friday the thirteenth on release day in Germany. Wow. In, interesting cultural interesting cultural difference in, so in Greece. So what's when it's Friday the 13th yeah. in Europe? But in Greece, they don't believe in Friday the 13th, it's Wednesday the 13th. Little cultural difference well, for you there. Because it's New yeah. Music Friday. Well, yeah, so <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. New Music Wednesday in Greece. But I think when you're when you come Demis to Demis Roussos, best off. <laughs> you have a, an international artist, someone like, I think, Calvin Harris, they showed it with Spotify where he put his song up for one single from the last album went up in different territories at different times for streaming and then the next single he just put it in across all territories on the same day and that single had a far greater impact mm -hmm. than the other territories where it was just streaming across sort of sporadic dates so i think mm -hmm. when you're looking at things as as an international market instead mm -hmm. of just focusing on regions i think it makes more sense that it's all on the same day and if you're Beyonce, you can still be like here's my new album i don't yeah. care what day it is I, yeah. I, I, Fuck I, it. doing it on a tuesday yeah. <laughs> as somebody who's very old now and uh, basically wizened through age and bad living it's it's like a double whammy for me loads more music being released loads of more ways to f access that music 
and then they change it to a Freud. I'm like the pensioner complaining about uh, policemen getting younger or coins being really fiddly. Yeah, they're on Monday it's, just shaking yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's double confused me. Still I just, putting I, your radio yeah, on 4pm on Sundays. Yeah, Why? Yeah. Where's the chart show? I still call them yeah. marathons. They'll, ne- oh, they'll never be Snickers. <laughs> I never. I'd say that I was on the other end of the age scale, though. So I've got two sons who are eight and six, and the eight-year-old has just discovered chart music. It's all because they've done this chart show on a, on a Fridays on oh, CBBC. Yeah. And then when it was announced, I was like, what, a chart for the kids now? What's going on here? And then I was like, actually, this seems like a really smart move. Because children are now seeing this. Isn't that a top ten rundown with a guest? Like, it's not top of the pops with lots of bands playing. It's, like, quite focused. It's quite DIY for the BBC. Yeah, it keeps falling over. Yeah, it? yeah. And he kind of, like, <laughs> potters into the into the radio on studios. And he's there lingering the, yeah. in the live lounge outside Greg James's studio. And you can see the sort of other people working at like radio while walking <laughs> past just being like... What's going on? Like, Boy, who is this? this child? And they keep to, it keeps falling over. They have to cut back to the dog and the other community <laughs> presenter. And it's like clearly the dog has got the comedy lines, but they haven't worked any out. So it's having to fill with an animal. It's. I saw. Oh. I saw an amazing one where they made scouting for girls all try and get in a tent. Yeah. It was quite awkward. Yeah. <laughs> was it a very big tent or a very tiny tent? a small tent. tent, and you could just right. see the look in their eyes that went, we're in our 40s now. Mm. I, 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 I once uh, knew a guy who lived in a pop tent in a garage in Camden and made terrible, terrible, terrible electro music with hack computers and took lots and lots and lots of drugs. It's a very strange scene. He's on the show next week. He is, yeah. <laughs> but but he's actually been seeing this like Friday for my son. It's suddenly a day he makes us all sit down and watch the chart show. And I wouldn't have like, and also he gets on the iPad. He wants to see the Spotify charts now, rather than play Minecraft, wow. which for an eight-year-old is kind of unheard of. Mm. So there's something happened there where they've made it into a moment for this young. Because yeah, well, this was the thing that like there was that fear that the chart was becoming irrelevant, and they kept moving the charts mm. around, and then were they. The, the kind of the dying days at top of the pops, and they moved out to a Friday, and then they moved it to a Sunday, and then it just the whole kind of thing fell apart. I mean, so it was, it's there. kind of interesting that they, that kids are actually interested in the chart because there is a presumption that they don't care i mean the problem with it now is i think it's because streaming's in which i'm not necessarily arguing against but streaming's in so it's much harder for th- things hang around much longer so the mm. top 10 is basically one new entry every week now and then the beaver's hanging around for weeks and weeks and i like that i liked it when it was like 14 to go and then dropped to number 17 the next week and there'd be a whole new <laughs> i missed that and then the days when indie band could like get a few sales and getting the top 10 whereas now yeah. you've got to be out streaming Justin Bieber to get anyone in the top 10 and in a way a lot of the interesting bands maybe, won't appear on that show now maybe what maybe what they'll have to do if Justin Bieber's kind of dominating the kind of streaming charts <coughs> they do what they had to do in Ireland in uh, the early 90s where they had to recalibrate the uh, country music charts because basically the entire top 10 was Daniel O'Donnell so they had to change the they basically had to tweak the rules I think it was they could only allow one album from a particular artist to qualify for the top 10 because like the top 10 solidly for like the entire year was just all of Daniel O'Donnell's albums <laughs> when Nan's protesting in the streets yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then the, then that, that obviously that led to the tiger economy when they did that. So and that saved. Uh, no, it didn't save Ireland. That Ireland's even worse in the toilet than it was. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got lost. There. I got lost. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was my it was kind of socio socioeconomics there <laughs> going on there. Yeah. It, it makes sense in my head. It doesn't make sense in anybody else's head. But that's fine. Let's talk about Beats One. Instead, mm. let, let's let, let's let's uh, take this career and train and put it back on the tracks. Beats One, who listens to Beats One? I've listened to it a bit. And do you like it? I mean, yeah, it's 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 a radio station. 
it's I think it's kind of that simple. I think it's sort of got hyped mm. up as being a lot of different things. Um, I think in America so, it's really like they used to shit radio there. I think yeah, I think that mm. it's revolutionary in America. Shows. But yeah. we're, um, yeah. I've just listened to Zane Lowe on a different platform, mm. and it was still on my phone. I mean, really, that it kind of sounded pretty similar. It had the kind of like hottest record yeah. in the globe <laughs> yeah. and I was like okay this is just listening to Zane Lowe and listening to Zane Lowe is always going to be great because he's a incredibly accomplished professional and he has a great taste in music so I think it was actually like it was quite refreshing actually to hear him on Beats 1 and it felt like he was really owning the show but it's as with everything on radio there's some shows that you tune into and you're like oh my god why is Cara Delevingne talking and then there are other shows that you tune into where you're like this is great mm. Well, it's kind of it's interesting that they chose to go with him, ostensibly somebody who was famous in Britain, Kiwi, who was famous in Britain, to kind of front to be the kind of the front person for this massive big move by an American company. It's I don't think, think the Americans react to Zane Lowe for the first time because I think we all used to it. Yeah, yeah. And like, like you say, I think we all we all sort of think hey, he's really passionate about Madonna. People for the first time, it's like, what? Who is this? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> why is he? Why is he shouting? <laughs> <laughs> But but, we, but like in America, I think like commercial radio there. From everything I've heard and seen of it, it's it's awful. Well, that's why so that's why like, that's why things like Sirius XM are really popular because most of the local stations are seen as pretty rubbish. So they buy into this idea of of like property program stuff. I like the fact that as artist shows. I mean, it's not again their only thing. Like same reason I like Six Music. People like Keris Matthews and Six Music, where it's an artist doing it with their own point of view. Like that's work well. Some of the beach shows are my favourite. The ones done by musicians. Mm. Where they're just coming and said, do that's a, that is a very and that can go really wrong. That can be really self-indulgent. That is a very so. six music thing. The idea of the the kind of the former pop star becomes presenter. It's like basically half of six music DJs are all former pop stars, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Don't know what it is. Whether it's getting that kind of like inside view or using that celebrity to draw in an audience or. Well, I don't think any of them are really massive, massive names. Like obviously, Karis Matthews is quite a noble, wouldn't be considered like a Lauren massive superstar. Lauren Laverne, but even the, even though Kinnicky weren't even that big, Kinnicky had like hits she in the nineties. But but she kind of built up this broadcaster profile after the band. Jarvis, yeah, Jarvis, and maybe Guy Garvey. Yeah, it's like Bob Dylan on Sirius XM, like his show that yeah. was syndicated. And the, it was just fascinating. Theme tune Bob radio, talking. Yeah. and telling terrible jokes. Yeah, he, 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 he would do. He would do like these terrible jokes about. Uh, he would like. He would. He would take a theme that so would be like murder or guns or whatever, and he would kind of run that through all the songs, and then he would just drop in these wheezy, terrible dad jokes about why did the golfer wear two pairs of trousers in case he got a hole in one, and it was those kind of jokes. And you're kind of going, Bob Dylan, <laughs> telling telling Christmas cracker jokes. This is really I wish odd. Could do a good Bob Dylan impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, sucks. Hole Lucy used to work like Ministry of Sound, which had a radio stuff going on. I mean, what, do you listen to Beats 1 interesting for you? Like, I don't really listen to Beats 1, no. I can't lie. Um, which isn't to say that I don't like what they're doing with it, but just I think I'm quite a special case in many ways. But um, in the sense that I tend to listen to stuff, uh, you know, a lot of DJ mixes on SoundCloud and that kind of thing. Um, again, because I'm still very much in that dance music world, so Beats 1 just doesn't sort of satisfy, if you like, my dance music wants and needs um but you know I, I do like what they're doing with the artist-led shows like you said um because i think they've done quite a good job so far of picking people who 
sort of have uh, you know a, a quite a powerful place in pop culture well and, you've got and, like elton john doing a yeah. show or something but that's brilliant yeah exactly and there are people like drake and grimes and st vincent and you know people who who are just brilliant actually so I, I think that so far they're actually doing a really good job with picking the shows yeah it's just that i don't listen that much personally because they're not so much people who are my kind of music but i, I think i would listen especially now they actually have listened again so it was quite frustrating mm. when they first launched it yeah. and there was so yeah, much excitement like, and you're listening to it live and you're listening to Zane and then you put it back on a few hours later and it's Zane's show again and you're like, okay, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I want to listen to that, that St. Vincent mixtape, say, and you're trying mm. to find it and you're like, why is there no listen again? And why every time when I click on this schedule to find out when it's next on, do I go to applemusic.tumblr.com? Yeah, like, that's Apple that. Could at least have done a domain, custom domain name on yeah. Tumblr. I know, have <laughs> it, like they will pull together some of the uh, playlists in Apple Music. So if you you can go into the St. Vincent find, playlist find and the the listen again through Connect. Yeah, but I still can't work it because I'm just really bad at. Technology, yeah, but you want, yeah, we're kind of like like the gold standard for all of these things is the BBC iPlayer. You want something that's Mm. that simple to use, it's really easy to find stuff there. Can't they just look at your iTunes and be like, You've got every record by St. Vincent, listen to our show, there's a push. Mm. Just well, it, I think that will come up in kind of recommended. You have to go into the for you bit in Apple right, Music, okay. and then it'll go. You've been listening to a lot of this. Would you like to listen to this? Can you give me a lesson on it after? Because right, it's I will. been yes. like however many months, and I still don't know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. so much of the user experience surprisingly for Apple. I think is you know it's so unintuitive, isn't it? It's it's quite you know wonky and clunky and, yeah. and and you know it's a horrible experience in a lot of ways. I think they really need a really good desktop app like Spotify do as well, yeah. that's actually sort of, you know, that would have your listening history and whatever in it, but that's kind of separate from iTunes at the same time. It's just, it's its own thing. It needs to have, you know, all the features of, of mobile and whatever. It needs to bring that user experience onto desktop as well, because at the moment, it just, like I said, it doesn't work going to Tumblr and all this kind of stuff is ludicrous. It just seems like they've got to go, it's social media. Let's do all of social media simultaneously. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like the worst cocktail ever. It's like kind yeah. of petrol and jam and mince and half an onion. <laughs> well, I don't know. All, I, food, I use yeah. all Raymond's for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all the major food groups for me. Yeah. I, I, I love Spotify and I love the app, but I, I don't really feel an allegiance to a streaming service. And yeah. also having been at Radio 1 and been at the BBC for quite a few years and then seeing the people that they took from from Radio 1, the, the Apple crumbles, yeah. they call it, seeing mm-hmm. those people going... To Beats One really made me want to listen because they were some fantastic people and I'd worked with them and really admired their music taste and just knew that they were consummate professionals and they were they were going to do like a fantastic job on the playlists and a fantastic job on picking who does the shows and producing those shows. Mm-hmm. So I desperately want to listen, but I just yeah I can't I just the BBC did seem quite spooked by the entire thing. I I, I I won't name names, but I was at a do a couple. Of, it was just after Beats had started, and somebody very senior in radio at the BBC. It's only I like he might be having a chat with somebody vaguely like having a chat. And he was just buttonholing me, what do you know about beats? What do you know what's going on there? What do you know? What do you know? I was like like incredible paranoia about this thing because I think they were kind of quite concerned that this was because there was not already there was kind of like Zane and various other producers had had already gone. So they're like the BBC did seem quite spooked by the entire thing. No one thing. knows how many listens it's got, is the other thing I've yeah. said. So no one knows if it's being listened to particularly. Yeah. Like there's no it's not showing up on the ratings over here. Because mm. it's all based on panel, isn't it? You probably know what more like Bob panels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Well Radar. Radar, yeah. yeah. yes. That's T V, isn't it, Bob? 
Yeah. They, they don't know how many listeners. Unless, I think apparently, unless someone writes in, I am listening to Beats One on my phone. They don't have any numbers at all. No, yeah. Well, obviously, obviously, Apple will have those numbers, yeah. but they're not making them public. They have to write it. That's one of those where they've got a survey of what yeah, yeah. Do, they, it's not Beats isn't online. Oh, for the actual official. Yeah, yeah. for the diary. But, but yeah, Apple, like Radar still Apple, runs yeah. on that terrible diary system, which is just ludicrous. Yeah. In but even saying loaded interview, well, he may have been just gracefully eluding the question, but he was like, "We don't know how many listeners we got. We're just doing the best of it." So. It's kind of, I don't know. But I, I, I sort of, I wonder if they'll do a Beats 2 and a Beats 3 and like have a dance station and have a, an oldie still. Like, like, if you're like, you think about who owns an iPhone nowadays, it's not just the young cutting edge people, it's everyone. Yeah. Mom, and yeah. I, so, but they have, the Beats 1 is not for my mum. No. And yet she's, she's got an iPhone and an Android phone. So I wonder if they would like a the Radio 2 of Beats. Yeah. And yeah. Get a similar just get mix. Michael Bublé. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Cliff Richards, well, pending various police investigations. I don't know, of course. None of us are Yeah. No. I want to do some kind of Beats version of Magic, though. I would stream that. that would be oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, so you could hear it like uh, when you're kind of in your cups in the back of a taxi after you've been out all night. Yeah. And then they, they put on whatever... Terrible. Glam Medeiros. <laughs> do you think uh, Jimmy Olivine's going to make them do a Radio X style? This is for women only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you should. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe that's that's what you should do. Jimmy's women. Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. Was, Jimmy's <laughs> ladies. Well done, ladies. That, that's been one of the, the, the weirdest stories of the year. Like just. What? Uh, you yeah, two now, as representatives of all women, what is the official take on this? Now, you're representing all women here. Well, I think I saw it and straight away went on Twitter in outrage, as many people did, thank God, and was like, what the actual fuck? What so you're, you're you talking saying? about Jimmy Iovine thing rather than the Radio yeah, X sorry, thing? Yeah, right. yes. okay. I mean, Radio Just to X... clarify for legal reasons when we get sued. <laughs> yes, although to be fair, Radio X that common applies to them as well. Radio yes. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Iovine was like, why, why, why are you saying these things? You know, why did no one, well, I can't remember who the interview was with now, was it CBS or something? It's like, it was why one did, of their morning talks. Yeah, it was it like Good Morning America or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, why did no one go, oh, hang on, is that not a completely ludicrous statement to make? Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's sort of more proof is, you know, we don't need it, especially after, you know, Jessica Hopper's, you know, Twitter thread and whatever back in August was, I mean, yes, the music industry and just, you know, society as a whole is still inherently sexist, but I think also having someone who's as high up in music and tech as Jimmy Iovine, you mm. know, saying these kind of things is, is really damaging. You yeah, know, it was it, absolute nonsense, because what was it, he, he was... I suppose maybe his intention was right. How he articulated it was wrong. It's kind of the idea was Apple Music's here to help everybody find music, and then the way he presented it was like those poor, poor old women. They're not very good at finding music. Yeah, they're not very good at finding. Because... Things. So we we've we've, got, we've invented this technology, which is kind of like an electricity. Don't worry too much about that. It's sort of like electricity, but you can listen to nice songs to 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 mop the floor to and um, bake cakes to and yeah, do all and, the other and, things that women like to do. And saying that, you know, women only sit around talking about boys and things like that. And it was like, oh, come on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, has he, anyone really thought that way and since like the 1950s? I, I, I just felt like I'd know. fallen asleep and woken up in the Stone Age. Yeah. I think it got blown into a far bigger thing <laughs> than, than it needed to be, to be honest. I felt a bit sorry for the guy, if I'm being totally, totally honest. He's 62. Well, there were, there were some of these kind of take on... This, the thing is... I have said many a stupid thing in the last half hour, and I've said many a stupid <laughs> thing in meetings and in the pub and in, in. It's just 
one of those things when you do that many interviews and you're being put on the spot that many times, something is going to slip out that you didn't 100% mean. But I don't think that you can demonise every person who says something that just kind of tumbles out their mouths and they go, oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. They apologise and they move on. I think you need to look, well, I th I think as a feminist, you need to look at a far bigger picture than just going on a witch hunt after one guy who said the wrong thing and has apologised for distracting it. That's a very sexist turn of phrase there. A witch is it only women that people hunt. <laughs> yeah. Physician, heal thyself. Yeah. For the guy. Yes. A wizard hunt. <laughs> a wizard hunt. There we go. <laughs> that, 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 that's if, that's, if we have to put a gender association. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wizard hunt sounds quite fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, witch hunt sounds more particular. I get your point about yeah, people will can say stupid things with, yeah. when they're being I mean, interviewed. But the whole point, but the whole point was that for Apple, and yeah. I just feel like just. I, I, th I think that on. on this case, he was. They were on this show. He wasn't doing that many interviews, and this he was to go on this show with a very particular remit, which was to sell Apple Music to mainstream American consumers and that was it and it's like that website you only had one job and we see mm, toilet yeah. seats put on upside down and stuff like that and that was you only had one job and you're just going I can't Whoa. believe the one funniest thing was he was sitting next to Mary, Mary J. J. Blythe it's just one of those like TV exactly. facepalm moments <laughs> like when Rita Ora forgets the name of a contestant on X Factor or something and you just sit there and you go like Oh my god! But it's endemic of something far bigger than mm. Jimmy Iovine making. Of course, but then there, are, there yeah. was somebody else kind of explained. They said, "Well, that, that's it's the kind of thing you would expect your granddad to say." And you go, "Well, he probably yeah. he's old enough to be somebody's granddad, so he was is." It? And that's not that doesn't excuse him. But you should he hear kind some of... of the things my grand says. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> but it's like with Apple, like like Apple for example, it's little things and bigger things, like you say. Like Apple had that thing where they they released the health apps and it had no period tracking, and everyone was like, "What is this about?" Why have you got this in there? And then it was like, well, the bigger issue was there were no women at a senior level in Apple, let alone in the engineering teams. And that was the big issue. And then the, the sort of the, the symptom was they made this software that was thinking about men running around and women delicately jogging because that was their main health need. No, they, 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 they were they were busy washing clothes. In music yeah. and, it, and in, in media as well, if you think how many people are probably female executives at Global who decided to come up with Radio X. If mm. you, Think about how many female executives there are in the music business. It's something that needs actual effort put into it and people to actually put have the prerogative to go and do something and start those kind of women in music awards or, or you know, support young girls coming up and showing them doing talks and showing them that this is a career in music and, and employing equally and, and I think through that you'll see changes. But just going after one person and, and no, demonising them on social media and being that kind of like Twitter hero, it's not going to change a thing. Well, that's but just that's that just the internet. Is symptomatic of a much wider issue, which is just that culture and society as a whole is still incredibly inherently sexist and patriarchal. And I think it goes much deeper than music or any industry because hmm. um, I'm actually writing something about this at the moment. Um, sort of inspired by the AIM Women in Music event that I went to last Monday and all of this. But um, I read a really good article recently by someone who's nothing to do with music, but he was he's the former police commissioner of uh, Victoria in Australia. And so obviously he spent, you know, a lifetime, his whole career trying to, you know, fight back against sexual abuse and, and domestic violence and all this stuff. And he was just kind of, he outlined brilliantly how from a very, very young age, sorry, no, I'm going slightly off tangent here, but, um, but you know, we, we kind of encourage inherently sexist attitudes in our children, you know, we kind of say boys will be boys and we excuse their behaviour, and yet we blame girls for, for things like, so, so often for things like violence and abuse and whatever, and we also encourage them to blame themselves. Uh, and all this kind of stuff and it just you know my point is basically that i think even the fact that there aren't enough women in music and tech at high levels and they're not always getting the recognition they deserve and things like that is just all symptomatic of a much wider uh, problem and a much 
more difficult problems to tackle than just sort of, you know, how do we get more, more women in musical tech or, or something like that. It's intersecting with a completely different trend, I think, which is like social media, the witch hunt is always the easiest mm. thing to do. Mm. And it's like, it's like with that, there was that woman who made that joke about AIDS in Africa. And she oh, got yeah. Flight, but she got off, she was sex and she was like, yeah, it was a joke that was actually against... Yeah, I think, I think I think I think her joke was, "Oh, I'm off to Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. Oh no, I won't, because I'm white." And yeah. that was a, it's like it's and in she that wasn't John really making a political statement. No, was she? she was, was making a racist joke, but yeah. I see what you mean. Like yeah, that, that, that whole, thing where you're like, like "Well, you, I've done a tweet about it, so I am good for the day." <laughs> yeah. Well, have you? Uh, it's uh, that that's one of the key studies in John Ronson's book from yeah. earlier this mm. year. So you've been publicly shamed. So it's all about that idea of like suddenly mm. people suddenly feel compelled to be outraged and they get outraged for 24 hours and then you forget about it but then he said like what's the long-term effects of the people who've been subjected to this excerpt in the guardian yeah. weekend me too middle class dream yes no i i actually i i read the book on my kindle double middle class <laughs> with a flat white <laughs> yes, triple <I> <laughs> so with well, yeah so we exhausted so we've sort of women in music so that's all sorted good oh, God. Thank God, we've got there. It took two men to sort it out. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we uh, we also want to talk about a. It's it, it's a really interesting idea, but it's probably got the most horrible term ever. Full stack music. It's just it sounds awful. But it was an idea kind of kicked around by Ian Hogarth, who is one of the founders of Songkick. So he's kind of got this idea that I guess ostensibly it's about kind of greater convergence in all the kind of the aspects of digital music radio plus streaming plus ticketing isn't it? yes mm. all in one place so we're kind of like a big american breakfast yeah. yes yeah. Yeah. so we're kind of seeing that happening with uh obviously song kicks got its integration with spotify pandora spent a lot of money buying ticket fly in america earlier this year and obviously you work for dice one of the new ticketing companies what's your take on this do you think that all of these companies have to kind of merge together to survive or do you think they can all exist as standalone things do you do you feel compelled to be looking for these kinds of partnerships that ian's talking about um i don't think we feel compelled to look for any partnerships at dice i think that moving forward partnerships are sometimes a good thing sometimes a bad thing on a case-by-case basis i don't think that you need to kind of put all those things together to survive i think that things can stand on their own i think that ticketing companies can stand on their own and spotify and apple music and pandora and all the rest could oh not pandora actually well <laughs> well they made they made enough money out of an ipo they probably don't care if it can stand up on its own <laughs> but um isn't it it's an interesting one and it? it's an interesting theory but i think something that we're kind of trying to do at dice is move away from that here's everything in your face in one go here's all the music and all the gigs and all the radio in the world and here's it all in your laptop in your lap go and find it enjoy here's a few playlists yeah i think what we're trying to do is kind of with dice we're very selective about what we put in our gig listings it's it's all quite intensively curated to the point of arguments in the office right um so that's good though that's good hone it down and um, at the moment we have spotify in the app so people can listen to artists before they get tickets for them but Um, that that, that's that's not is that a formal relationship or is that basically apis yeah just integrated it um you're moving forward who knows what the future holds i don't think partnerships are bad but i don't think they're entirely necessary either 
So I think it's just doing what's right for your brand. Okay. You see, on, on the marketing side of things, is this a kind of a dream for you? Where you suddenly you can get all of the recorded side of stuff in there and the live stuff mm. all sitting in one place. Would that make... Well, it's all about the data, isn't it? You know, as, as I think Ian said in, in his piece for TechCrunch about his idea for full stack music, that, you know, the most valuable things come out of this is all of the data that it generates and how you can tie that together. Because if you're able to you know get a lot more data between sort of ticketing and recording you know who's coming to your shows and who's listening to music and where they are and how often they listen and you know how often they come to gigs and where they go to gigs and all this stuff then you know it will definitely be a bit of a marketing wet dream for sure um you know it's going to be beneficial for the artists and the labels and management and marketing and be able to just tie it all together and hopefully also to create a much better experience for the fans at the same time you know I, i I have wanted for ages um, and I'm really keen to see you know Spotify's new concerts integration with Songkick and and Pandora and Ticketfly together and be able to be like yeah you know suggest suggest concerts to me and let me buy tickets directly from the app instead of having to go elsewhere and things yes yeah. brilliant you know I, I do think that's going to make a better fan experience sort of on the front end if you like at the same time as making improvements in terms of the data you can access and, and how you're able to tie in marketing and recorded music and live music all together sort of at the back end as well yeah. mm. so I you suppose, wrote, oh, sorry, sorry i was, was going to say i suppose what what you you what happens with uh with with spotify and song kick you kind of get to that point now where you, you listen to something and you expect to see the little song kick link underneath mm. the spotify mm. track telling you where they're playing and where to go but i guess what we're doing is trying to introduce newer artists to people that they've never heard of before mm. that they won't have listened to because you do get stuck in like a listening cycle where you just got yeah, your like five yeah. records of the yeah. year and they're just on mm. repeat and then how are you going to so find true. out about that amazing band that's just like that band that you're obsessed mm. with that are playing just down the road at a smaller venue and you can see them before anyone else and you can you know fall in love with them for another five years and then they'll be on your like that was always song cycle. Cycle. whole i think it was like yeah mm. got your record collection your stream collection was like a band you listen to are playing or you own mm. but it never had that someone new you haven't listened to yet yeah. Which is kind of the most exciting thing. You, you, I was going to say, you wrote an uh, interesting piece for Music Hive, it was either yesterday or today, talking about it was based on that Spotify, your year of music thing, and you, yeah. you kind of looked at the, the artists you played the most, and then worked out how much you'd actually paid to those artists. I think, was it Courtney Barnett, or were Super Furries were the, your most Super played artist, and they got about four quid off you or something? No, no, it was like $2.70, roughly, and yeah. that's to their rights holders, yeah. so then they'll get, God, they'll get less than a dollar. But then you went off that, and then you went, well, I went, I bought the album on CD and I went to the gig and I bought merchandise and then you, you totaled up how much stuff you'd spent around Super well, Furry Animals. Well, the whole point about it was weird because like, so Super Furry Animals was my, my favourite band and I'd spent, but I bought all their albums back in the day and I went to see them live and spent 35 quid on a ticket. But it was more like the third and fourth, though Courtney Bonnet was my third, Django Jangle my fourth and I think Laura Marling was my fifth. And for them I thought, well, I haven't spent that much money on them really because I've discovered all those bands in the streaming era. And so I've started buying albums again this year just so I can buy the album and try and buy it from their band camp or somewhere. Because I just feel like right now, at this time in between it being like a sales industry and it being a streaming industry, it's quite tough for new bands coming through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm always feeling like I want to buy something as directly as possible from them. Because I know I'm not going to, even if I stream them 300 times, that's only like three quid. But back, yeah. back in days of yore yeah. if you bought one album off a band how much would they have gotten how much would they have seen of yeah, that and then that's that for the year that's mm. that for life yeah, like yeah. you own that record then and you're not going to buy mm. it again mm. whereas you might listen to Courtney Barnett for like the next 10 years on Spotify yeah. well then there's, there's, there's I guess there's the kind of the Robin Hood argument in that you're you're spreading out your money you're spending out your 120 quid 
among many more artists. If, if you had 120 quid a year to spend on music, you could have bought, what, a dozen, mm. 14 albums, and that would have been it. But you've, you've now listened to... What was your Spotify total? Five hundred new artists or different artists oh, no, you'd listen to? Sixteen hundred artists. Yeah, so but that's doing a lot of sampling as well. Yeah, but of course, <laughs> but it doesn't mean much. But the idea was that that money is being spread out among a much bigger. It's, it's it's getting spread thin, but it's yeah. it's being spread out across. So, so if there's if there's enough people like you doing that, then that that eventually will stack up. Corny, it, or certainly is the just, idea. Corny Barnett just sold out two nights at the Forum. Yeah, so, like you know, she's. She's doing okay. Think about how much she must have done in t-shirts, and, yeah. and you. Did, I think my friend bought a scarf. Yeah, you know, well, she's just killing like, it in merch. It's making yeah. me think when those guys come through, like, because the other thing for me is that I am thirty-eight and I live out in the sticks, so my gigging has just gone down because a gig is a big thing now, and so I've been like a lot of the argument often is like, well, tickets are one way to bands to make money. And I'm thinking I'm not buying enough tickets. Like the new bands I discover, I'm streaming them twenty or thirty times on Spotify, but I'm not buying a ticket. I'm not buying an album. And it's maybe think I wonder if I I don't know how I want to support them. In some way, and I'm not sure how, but I've been thinking that those numbers. Obviously, yeah, yeah, you, you almost have have to be of a certain size of an act to have the budget to make merchandise as well. It's like somebody playing in some grody pub in Dalston isn't going to have a merch table because they're kind of they're living hand to mouth. So you get to a certain level where you can go right. I'm going to invest in merchandise and do t-shirts or tote bags or badges or whatever. But that's why maybe the ticketing yeah. integration is also going to be yeah. a good thing. So it's, for those artists, yeah. maybe. So it's, it's absolutely those artists make... that have, have like done one EP or something like that that yeah. need the money up front as much as possible. They need you to go and hand over your six quid to see them supporting yeah. whoever. So then if you can listen to them on Spotify or you know Pandora or whatever and then be able to buy tickets to a show directly at the same time as well, mm. then great, because it might help to make the streaming economy more sustainable for those smaller artists. That, yeah. that idea of like digital things understanding you like for example this could be spot it could be dice like dice saying we know who you've been to see and we know about your tastes you would love this band and we love this band like that it's like that, that old tradition of your friend going mm. you must come and see these people i'm not going to let you not come and see them because they're amazing yeah i mean it's hard if you're a digital i did i did that to my mate with the rub and he's never forgiven me I ever did, since I rub. the oh, rub no, was a uh, Remy from the stone <laughs> roses band they were <laughs> he didn't awful in his band. They, this was <laughs> this I didn't even know Stuart at the time, but we ended up, and we, we were both talking about the worst gig we'd ever seen, and it was this, we, the same and we were both there. It was awful. But, but um, I, think, I think this is the way that these things can become meaningful, even more meaningful. Like, the idea of, of a personality, so it dies, it's humans saying, this is amazing, and arguing, like you said. And then some kind of personal thing where, it, and it, it, like, what was it recently? Disclosure. There's dice things like, notification, do you want to get disclosure tickets? Mm. That's so powerful, if it's going to the person who's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and if it's another thing, it's like this band you've never heard of, but you would like them. We know you would. And we did that with Liss, yeah. who are a new band from Denmark that we think are amazing. Mm. And um, yeah, they were playing electro work, so we went through and picked out all the bands that we'd done that we thought were quite similar, and then we just sent sent a push to it, people that we thought would like it and sold sold all the tickets. That's correct. And people powerful. people were you know, this band had like no press. The only people in the UK really who knew about them were music industry. Mm. And yeah, the the show was sold out, and it was an amazing gig, and people fell in love with this unknown band from Denmark, who we think are going to be huge. That's thing because the old days, I suppose you would rely on a journalist or a DJ mm. would be the only source of someone saying you must go and see this, yeah, or a friend. But then now, like all this data we're creating from listening to stuff and from buying tickets, and that's why, like t- Ticketmaster, for example, email me every so often and go, or, or the O2 and go, hi Stuart, buy tickets for Barry Manilow, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Madness and in the Night Garden. And it almost seems like that you know that they've got the money to be able to do that really targeted market, and they they don't. Spotify's API and go, Hi, Stuart, we know exactly who you like. And that's why I think things like Spotify and Sumkick and Dice are going to be important because it's. We were talking last night, we had this event last night, and we were talking about how. um, the, da- the worry about streaming for some people is that there's so much stuff coming at you. Mm. How do you fall in love with artists? Mm. But actually, something saying to you, you will fall in love with this artist, and we know that because we know what you love. There's just something quite powerful there. Right. Yeah. I think that's a nice note to end on, a note of love. <laughs> we we normally end on a note of pessimism, or basically both of us shaking our heads going, so we just pass stop now because we're, we're bored. <laughs> uh, we would like to thank uh, Jan and Lucy for coming in and sharing their views and for representing all women of all times through all ages, <laughs> both in the past and in the future. <laughs> so we have now fulfilled our quota. It's like the BBC. We've now fulfilled our women in podcast quota. Uh, I'm going to just be representing all women or to my email signature t- to Twitter. Yeah, no, represent all women, past and yes, present. Yes, exactly. And, future. and yes. future. But thank you both very much. And uh, I guess we should say Happy Christmas because it, it, uh, you've, uh, you obviously you can't see, but we're wearing a very fetching festive jump. Would you like to describe it? It's kind of it's blue and <laughs> it's white. Got, it's got, got reindeers, reindeer, and snowflakes. It's kind of got everything that you would want in a Christmas want. jumper. Happy Christmas, everyone. There we go. There we go. We're multi-denominational. Absolutely. Thank you all very much. Uh, don't say anything sweary until should I press should, stop. Should I press stop now? Uh, so we all shout stop. <laughs> stop at the same time. One, two, three. Stop. stop!